Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 168. I am your host, Mark Shapiro, and I'm delighted to have you with us. My guest in episode 168 is Mitochondrial Eve, and Eve is a critical care nurse, and they are a very prominent voice in the sort of medical Twitter sphere, hashtag med Twitter. Mitochondrial Eve is not their real name. And in this conversation, we get into what is a really interesting juxtaposition where they maintain their anonymity. At the same time, they are readily transparent. They're transparent about work, family, their childhood, all these different aspects of their life. At the same time, they're a healthcare professional taking care of patients. And this was a really fascinating conversation around transparency and being as fully transparent on social media, but at the same time, maintaining boundaries and figuring out what those boundaries look like when you're helping to take care of patients and when you're helping to take care of their families, it's a really interesting tension there. And they do a really nice job of laying that out. We also get into the amazing stuff that they do on social media, particularly talking about bread baking and hashtag baking with Eve and how they turn this into a therapeutic tool as well as their wonderful writing that they do on Twitter. It's just, it's a, it's a dynamic conversation with a really interesting person who does really provocative work in the social media space. And then is just doing good, solid patient care before we get to the conversation with Eve, just want to invite everyone to please come and check out the archive of explore the space at www.explorethespaceshow.com. As I always like to say, we're on all the podcast platforms. You can find us anywhere you like to download and listen to podcasts. All the episodes in the archive, they are evergreen. So you can look around and find the amazing guests that sound interesting to you, the incredible topics that look good. Jump into those, and they're as good as the day we put them on the air. Definitely subscribe to whichever podcast platform you like, and please do take the opportunity to leave us a rating and a review. If you have the chance to, to tell your friends, colleagues, family, other folks that you know that listen to podcasts about Explore the Space, that word of mouth is a great way to do it. And at the same time, if you are on social media, Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram, amplifying the episodes that you like is always great. I'm, I'm very active on Twitter at ETS Show, active on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can always email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. I love to hear from people. I love interacting with people who are enjoying the show and have thoughts and feedback around what's happening in this sort of Explore the Space universe. Mitochondrial Eve is a really prominent part of the med Twitter universe, and this idea of transparency and how it's reflected in our professional work and the boundaries that we need to maintain, and then the way that transparency can be therapeutic, their insights are really fascinating, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. So without further ado, mitochondrial Eve. Eve, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Has it been a year that we've been trying to figure this out? It has been. It has been. I think we we had first planned to speak sometime in like June or July, and then one thing led to another, and we never got to it until now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you being so patient. Thank you so much for hanging in there. (laughs) Uh, I really, I was really intrigued by the idea. 
Uh, so yeah, that's what to- I was going to ask you. You get a ping from someone to say, come on a podcast and then it doesn't work and then it doesn't work again. What is it about this idea for you of talking, of sharing that makes you say, you know what? It's, it's a little annoying to get these emails and to get DMS on Twitter of, sorry, this didn't work out again, but I'm going to hang in there. What is it about that? That makes you feel like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this and, and not just say, you know what? We've tried now four times. I think the gods are trying to tell us something. Let's try for a fifth. Well, you know, I think that anything that you really want to do, if you just give up because you meet opposition, then did you really want to do it? And I was really intrigued with this. I wanted to talk with you about transparency as professionals and transparency in our private lives. And I thought that this is a this is an engaging concept for me. This is what I've, I mean, if I have a social media brand or or whatever, which I don't really think I do, but if I did have one, then it would be about sincerity and honesty and transparency, even though I am anonymous on Twitter. But what that um, being anonymous on Twitter does for me is it allows me to talk about things that are very, very real and very, very raw without it being too close the identity that I actually have. And so I can pull concepts out and I can say, okay, this is what I'm talking about today. And, you know, I talk a lot about PTSD and that's not something that a lot of people are willing to have a conversation with a real person about online. Like they want, they want to talk to someone who understands and who has been there and they want to read the things that I say, but they don't want to be vulnerable in that ultimate sense with someone that they've never met, but they also don't want to be vulnerable with people that they have met. And that's part of the problem. Like when we talk about caring for other people and caring for ourselves, that level of vulnerability is what makes it possible. But it's really, really hard to look someone else in the eyes and say, Hey, here's this moment for me that I'm, I'm broken about and I need help for. And it's really hard to decide how much am I going to say and what direction should, should my, you know, telling my truth, what direction should it take and how can I do this without hurting somebody else? You walk a really interesting line because on social media, as you say, you're anonymous and you are able to share at a level of transparency that, man, I, I can't think of, of other people who I follow on Twitter actively and, you know, seek out content from as you, but you also work in a profession where we know that transparency and sharing is a challenge. So I'll share things about you that I know from your social media feed only. I know that you work in healthcare and I know that you're a critical care nurse. Mm -hmm. We know that when we're working with patients and with families, that we walk a very difficult line of how much of ourselves do we share. So I want to start on the professional side a little bit because you are very good about that openness and that sharing on social media. How do you navigate boundary setting with people who you're taking care of with their families and then with the care team as well? Because we all deal with this, right? We're, we're working Mm -hmm. in multidisciplinary teams. We're working to help take care of the people we're responsible for. How much do you feel like this idea of transparency is useful? And in what places do you say that's where I don't go in the professional space? 
I don't think that everyone that I work with needs to know every detail of what um, has happened to me in my life and every detail of my health. I think that pulling from my own experience is valuable, but I don't have to give the things that I say personal weight by saying, well, look, this is what happened to me. And I in, and give, you know, just sort of a, an in-depth, accurate description of what happened to me. Instead, what I do is when we're talking about, um, for instance, a psychological difficulty um, that, that, a, that a person is having, I, if someone is not, is not talking kindly about that person with the idea that, well, if they were just compliant, then they wouldn't be in this mess inventing that kind of frustration. And then I can say, well, when you talk about psych problems and you talk about psych patients, you're talking about me. And then they're like, oh, okay. So, so you will use it as the, I, I am also, I am, we are more alike than you may think. And let's use that as the teachable moment. Right. Okay. Because you don't want to, you don't want to um, break anyone else down, uh, but you want to show them that they deal with people who have these problems every day. They just don't know it. And so I, not everyone I work with knows that I have PTSD, but everyone that I work with knows if you go to Eve and you complain about a problem or a patient, she's going to listen. And then she's going to tell you, well, I think this is what you need to see. And so I don't get, I don't gossip and I don't get gossip at work because I'm very, when you talk about boundary setting, I don't do that. I don't think we should talk about other people. If you want to talk about something, you want to talk about something to do with yourself, or we can talk about like a professional problem, like how do I approach this? And I think reframing complaints into this is how we need to approach this situation can be helpful and turn people back around to you're not here to, to have a gripe session about how difficult this particular person is. Let's talk about the complexity of the process that brought them here and what trajectory we need to shoot for so we can get them back out. How does that dynamic work then with someone who you're taking care of or their family. You mentioned that part about you'll see something and do you share with them whether you have the same experience? And when you said that a few minutes ago, I felt to myself like, I mean, I have patients who and family members that I'm taking care of who are experiencing things that I've experienced in my life or people very close to me have experienced and I've stepped through it with them, not as a physician, but as their partner, friend, son, husband, whatever. How, that is a hard spot and we all struggle with that one. How much do we share? Because we want to connect. We want to say, I know what you're going through. I get it. And let's walk through it as fellow human beings. How much do you allow that sort of blending to happen or do you allow it to happen at all? So I would say, first of all, I think every medical professional should at least know what transference is. Yeah. And, and how to have some effective like self boundary setting there, because there's a real risk when you've like, just as for instance, 
and you probably know this because it's on my social media. I have an experience when I was young, I was a teenager and I had an asthma attack and I was intubated and I was um, paralyzed without adequate sedation. And I remember like the end of the CPR. I remember a lot of things about that hospital stay. And it's very traumatic. And so for me, I know that I always have to guard against um, feeling too much like I'm the person in the bed and recognizing that their particular process and their illness and their um, healing, none of those things are mine. And so I don't need to think automatically that the problems that I had are going to be problems that they are obviously going to have. So when you talk about connecting with people on a human level and you need to think about, okay, so I want to connect with people where they are, not where I was, not where I think that they are, but where they actually are. And how you get that information is by talking to them and honestly listening to them tell you how they are. As you're going through that, do you ever have, and I think that this is a question that we could open up to everyone who does the work that we do. Do you ever have patients say to you, have you ever had an asthmatic patient in the ICU say to you, do you have any experience with this? Has this ever happened to you? I, I can't right. think from, I'm thinking about this right now for myself. Like I, it's happened a couple of times, but it's actually not as much as you might think for me. So I, I work in a cardiac ICU. Yeah. And I take care of patients that are are critically ill, that have advanced heart failure, that have um, had cardiac surgery. So we do a lot of wean um, to liberate them from the tube. To get them off the ventilator, right, right, right. Right, that's right. And so invariably, I'll have a family member say, you look like you've done this a few times before. Uh-huh, yeah. Yes, and and I say, yes, I, I have done this many times before. This is how this goes. This is um, a point in their trajectory where one of several things can happen. This, These are the types of things that happen. This is, these are some and you don't give them very much detail because it's very hard for them. So you, you say, well, these are some of the problems that we face. But rest assured that I have seen all the complications that we could see here with this particular problem. And I know what to do if it happens. So here's what I want you to take away from this. Is that this is a time for you to relax a little bit, stay in here if you want to, take frequent breaks. Um Imagine how difficult it is for them emerging from anesthesia and breathing through a straw. It's equally as troubling for you to watch, but I'm here. And if I get nervous, then you have my permission to be nervous. We have a lot of alarms that go off, right? And I don't want them to be afraid when alarms go off. And I always try to warn them this is going to happen, or this is going to happen, or this is what you will hear, this is what you will see. So they don't fixate on numbers, and they don't fixate on um, sounds, but they look at their loved one, and then they take breaks so they can take care of themselves. 
The way I'm translating what you just described is you are leveraging professional expertise and experience as a tool to provide reassurance. But your personal experience is not part of that equation. Did I, did I take that right. on board in the way that, does that sound right? That is exactly right. I have been asked a few times, have you, um, do you know what this is like? Yeah, yeah. Do they do this in nursing school? And I always say, I always answer them honestly, no, they do not do this in nursing school. But yes, I do know, I do have some experience in what this is like. The thing to remember is that my experience is not going to be their experience, but there are a few things that are common. And I've learned from my experiences, and so they're going to get the benefit of that. I don't, I don't describe to them what happened to me, but if a patient, op- and this happens to me a lot, I... Patients and family members have a tendency to, I'll go in the room and introduce myself, and then I find that 10 or 15 minutes later, they are just sort of pouring out all of their fears and worries and concerns. And sometimes it'll go jump immediately back to when they were five years old, and that's a lot to carry. Yeah. And that's a lot for me to carry, because I have problems of my own, and I'm not a therapist but I have one of those faces is what I tell people. I have one of those faces. Yeah. Everyone wants to tell me all their secrets. I have one right. of those faces that says that I, I'm here and I'll listen. And, and I do. And I do. But there's also something about that ICU space, right? When that door, mm-hmm. when that glass sliding door is closed and the curtains pulled and there's a critically ill person in a bed and the alarms have just finished going off. That is a, that is a moment unlike any other. And people absolutely, I think are predisposed to open up in a way that outside that sliding door, they don't. And having worked in the ICU myself for a long time, I I mean, I can speak to that, that people begin to open up and divulge about themselves, about the, their, their loved one who's in the bed, or if they're able to speak, you know, the patient will start saying, look, this is. I came to a weird precipice and I need to share things and, and, and like you said, I mean, they'll get things off their chest that you're like, man, this is, I'm not a therapist and we need to figure out the right way to get you the the tools that you need. Right. And so I listen, I always yeah. listen. That's yeah. one of the, that's one of the key things, but I also have time to listen because I only have sometimes one patient, sometimes two patients. And, um, and if I don't have time to listen, then I'm always very clear with, this is not um, this is not something that I feel that I can give you um, the kind of respect and the kind of hearing that you deserve. There's that part I remember in the movie Goodwill Hunting, which I love, but the part that stuck with me the most, and I think it's relevant to this conversation. There's a part where Robin Williams and Matt Damon are talking, and R- Matt Damon asks Robin Williams when he's talking about they were like looking at pictures of. Matt Damon after he'd been beat up or something. And he says, do you have any experience with this? And Robin Williams says, yeah, you've been a therapist for a long time. You're going to see some pretty horrible things. And he says, no, do you have any experience with this? And that pivotal moment where Robin Williams says yes and begins to talk about his own experiences, you can argue both of the, did he do that right or did he do it wrong? You can, you know, you can argue it both directions. It's really, really difficult. That I thought was a really good representation in the professional sphere of what you and I are talking about, 
Because sometimes you'll be very tempted to want to just say, yeah, man, I know exactly what this is like. Or other times you'll be like, I, I hear you and I'm, I'm here. Like you said, I'm here to listen and we'll get you the support that you need. But inside you're saying, I'm not talking to you about my personal experiences with subject X. Yeah, I think that a lot of my feelings and my own, um, the things that I've dealt with come through with patients, not in family members and uh, honestly people I work with, not with things that I say, but just my demeanor um, and the way that I just sort of absorb. I, I, I feel like I absorb a lot yeah. in the yeah. course of my day. And I think that um, I have a, there's a sense of like stillness and calmness around me when I'm in the presence of people and, and they're talking about these things, these vulnerable things, and they feel like that I can hear and I can listen to everything. And I have to be careful um, because for one thing, it is really, it would be really easy for me to assume that I understand everything about someone else's experience because I have had an experience of my own. That's a really good point. It's dangerous yeah. because we, we are not the same. Yeah. And even if I had like training about some of, you know, how to help people handle some of these experiences, I, my experiences would still be my own and their experiences would still be their own. And assuming that because you have had a certain event happen in your life, that that means that you understand and you are an expert on everybody else's experience, <laughs> even of the same thing is right. supremely arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing I don't want to be when you're, especially when you're dealing with people's trauma is arrogant. No, I think that you, you know, exhibiting those qualities at that, you know, at that sharpest edge of healthcare is a, is a great quality to have. But I like that you use the word absorb. So you take this stuff on board, right? You were working with two mm -hmm. patients a day in the ICU and we know, right, every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If you're absorbing, you're going to need to put back out. And mm -hmm. so I wonder how much of your transparency on social media. And we're talking specifically, at least for me about Twitter. I don't actually know if you're on any other platforms, but the one that I know you the most from is Twitter. How much of your transparency and volume too, because you tweet a lot, how much of that is the putting, and I don't mean that as a criticism. It's just, I, I know that sometimes you'll have stretches where you're, you're adding a lot of content. You're putting a lot of conversation out there. How much of that is the reaction to the absorption that you did at work? It is. Much of it is. And also, I mean, keep in mind that a lot of work that I can, I consider it work that I do this sort of labor behind the scenes, um, for people that I know most of the, most of the time through Twitter is not publicly represented on my timeline. So I have, you know, I have people who email me. I have people who DM me. I have um, people who, who very frequently will come into my um, sort of my private space and they'll say, I've never told anyone this before. And they'll say a really hard thing. And so I have a, I have a, a response that I give. Um, it's a series of responses, but I give similar response every time because the main thing is I want to make sure people get the help that they need and I want them to understand that I am not that help. You know, it's great yeah, that you, yeah. they opened up and they told me a really, really difficult thing and yes. that 
for their own health and safety, that can't be where that stops. You know, they need to have someone in their own lives that they can, they can tell hard things to who will listen to them and who can, who can put more tools in their toolbox to unpack all of these problems and how they feel about all of these problems. And so that, that, um, even though I've gotten very good at it, um, over the time that I've been on Twitter, even though that seems like it would be an easy thing to respond to, it's really not. And it takes a I, lot I out of me. I don't think it would be easy at all. I think it would be really, <laughs> really difficult. I mean, you, you may be used to it and you've got some, you have tools in the toolbox to respond appropriately, but I would imagine thinking back on it, the first couple of dozen of times that you were received requests like that, I would imagine it was fairly jarring. Well, Yes. But that keeping in mind that that is the same type of event that I'm experiencing when I'm at work. Ah, gotcha. I'm, I'm, yeah, right. Because I mean, keep, I am taking care of people on a ventilator who are undergoing sometimes very, very painful, um, and traumatic things. And I too was on a ventilator and I too had a really traumatic experience. And so, um, going through that day after day after day after day after day with other people um, creates that same burden. And like I said, I absorb, but there has to be a time where I cast all of this off. Right. And right. I don't, I don't remember if you read uh, my journal article that was published in Annals of ATS. I did. Of course I did. You right. shared it. And one of our friends at Ketamine he shared it well. <laughs> so, in and we'll have article, links to it in the time. We'll have links to it in the show notes as well because it's a good article for sure. So, in that article, um, a lot of the things that we've been talking about today in that podcast, I put all of that in the article. And if you're if you are looking for it and you are reading it with the idea of here's a person who carries heavy loads and who absorbs things from other people and then has to have a place to put those things, you will see I'm talking about those themes in that article. And I don't give people answers. I just show them that the answer that we're all defaulting to is not the answer. (laughs) That was the point uh, for me of writing that article. So speaking of writing, you're a good writer and I'm curious how much of the comments you make on Twitter, because some of them strike me as being very much in a sort of a narrative form, right? A lot of the times you'll string together threads, how much of it is spontaneous and how much of it is something where you sit down and say, I want to reflect, I want to expound, I want to teach, I want to drop the burden. I want to, you know, I've been absorbing. I need to cast off some of the weight How? and I'm going to prepare something. What's the balance? What, what would you say spontaneous versus crafted? Oh no, it, it is all spontaneous. Okay. I don't, wow. I don't, wow. <laughs> I don't craft my threads. I, I am I, really surprised to hear that because it doesn't read that way. That's amazing. Um, I will say that I don't post anything on on Twitter that has not been chewing in okay. my head okay. for for a little while. So there is some some crafting and some editing going on yeah. Yeah. you know mentally before I before I put it down. The rough um, draft is in the gray matter, but it's not on 
It's not in a word document. Well, exactly. No, yeah. I, I, I don't like, and very often what'll happen is I'll do an, a great, what I think is a great thread and I'll look I at like, it and I'll go, I think they're great. Good for you. Cause they are very <laughs> cool. And I'll, well, you know, you've got to, you've got to hype yourself a little Legit, bit. Legit. hundred percent. Um, well, and that's another thing I, but I'll, I'll, I'll write these threads and I'll say, oh, I really wish I had put that in my notes because I need that, uh-huh. um, for, for uses. And so then I'll have to go back and copy each tweet in my own thread to put it in my notes so that I have it so I can refer to it <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, but, but speaking, speaking about looking at yourself critically or uncritically and saying, Hey, I did this and this is, this is a good thing. The, the thing that has assisted me in reaching that point, uh, the most I think has been baking bread. I, I wind I'm up. So, I'm so glad we're here. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad we've come to the bread. <laughs> I, uh, I find that there, there is a lot of internal work that I do when I bake bread and I go through the motions of, of making it. And I put, you know, we talk about you absorb a lot. So then you have to cast some of that off and you, and you cast some of it off in writing and you cast some of it off in tweeting and, and what do you do with the rest of it? And I, and I bake bread with the rest of it. That's, that's how I work through, um, all of these things because you, you've discovered that you have to process not only your own experiences and your own traumas, but you have to process as a healthcare worker, the, the traumas of other people and you have to prom- uh, process your own responses and feelings about the traumas of other people. And part of how I do that is through baking. I and have two questions about the baking that I need to, I need answers to. Okay. No, number one is the threads come out all at once. But how long is the process? Because you walk us through the evolution of, you know, an empty bowl all the way to some golden brown frosting covered brioche that everybody around the world is like, do me a favor and just send me a slice. How long is that process? Because it's compressed. And that's one of the that's one of the unrealities of social media that can be confusing. It's that's number one. And number two is. And, and I think it now it makes a lot more sense hearing that you're using it as that decompressive mechanism. It, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of pictures of you smashing things around and kneading things and, you know, sustained lots of manual work, lots of hand work, lots of hand strength. So is that part of it too, that there's an, a level of exertion that's helpful? Yes. Yes, there is. And there's also um, a, a time requirement. And part of that, like if you followed me, through a through a thread in real time which i have i have done them before i have released bread threads in real time bread through hashtag bread thread <laughs> you got to use that that's mandatory <laughs> we need it um i've re- i've released those in real time and yeah. what what happens is people <laughs> are texting me going 
but yes, but I need to see the rest of it. Like yeah, the thing yeah. with brioche is that it takes two days. If you're oh. doing it properly, it takes two days. Yeah. So, um, there are hours and hours and hours of introspective time between the, the initial idea this is what I'm going to do today to the finished product that we all consume. And there's a lot of labor that can't be counted in hours. And we look at it as passive time, but there's nothing passive about it. When you finish one of these baked goods, do you ever sort of look at it and say, I have released the stressor and I've released the weight of these experiences into this ex- delicious treat and now I'm going to eat it or I'm going to share it. Do you, is there a, a naming or a kind of an identification that happens or is it just, ugh? I just, it was like a good workout. I just needed to get a good sprint and I feel better and let's eat. Oh no, 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 no. I feel very, um, I have a lot of feelings about yeah. the bread that I make. I imagine so. Which is yeah. why I would never make it on a commercial like level. I'm always ever going to make it small batches, individually, uh, because I I have poured a lot of what makes me who I am into these bread products. So they that kind of labor, you can't put a price tag on it. It's not something that you could sell. If I give it away, I don't say I couldn't. What are what would you say are the apex breads? What are the three that are just you'd enter in any harvest fair that you know if you offer up to someone it's rave reviews or are the most fun to make? Which are the three? Okay, so um, the the very very top of any list of this sort for me is always going to be brioche. Okay. Because of the amount of time it takes, um, yeah. I find that it is the most therapeutic for me to produce. <laughs> okay. So brioche is number one. That's right. And then after that would um, probably be pizza dough. Ooh, nice. Okay. I like making pizza dough. I like putting herbs and garlic and things like that inside bread. And that's okay. what I do with that. And then another bread that I'm a big fan of is uh, braided bread. Um, um, very eggy, sweet bread, but it doesn't take as long to make. Listen, I'm Jewish, as... and challah is my jam, <laughs> and I like to bake challah myself, so I'm right, right. with you. So that would be that would be the other one. Um, okay. I I have a thread which I think I sent to you, and I'm pretty sure. Um, you mentioned you were going to reference during this where I talk about how, um, how bread is pain and the process of making bread is therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I would like that in the show notes. Oh, for sure. No, I was going to ask you for it. Absolutely. I think that's what we've been reflecting on here. So you and I have had, you and I have had one very bitter argument on Twitter and I don't know if you remember it, but I do. (laughs) And it was the French (laughs) press conversation. (laughs) And so you are, you are in the yay camp. I'm in the nay camp. And I put forward to you as the alternative, the front, the, uh, to the French press, the arrow press. And I think you've tried the arrow press now, right? 
I have tried the AeroPress. I have one. And every single time I make a cup of coffee with it, I say to myself, wow, that is a singularly spectacular cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so. Good. Now, enjoy yeah. your French press. This is, this is, this is, there's no wrong way to do coffee. If you're enjoying a cup of coffee, go for it. Um, I just, you know, it's fun to argue about these things and I don't particularly care for a cup of coffee that's gone through a French press. So if you still enjoy it, that's great. But I remember it was the first time I was like, I'm totally overmatched because she's way more skilled at the art of arguing on social media than I am. This is going to end badly for me. Um, but I'm glad that you have tried the AeroPress and I didn't end up getting blocked. Oh, you know, it was, it was a great discussion. It was. And it also, I had seen the AeroPress around and I had yeah. just thought... Well, first of all, and believe it or not, I am quite easily intimidated. So I was like, well, I don't like change. I don't like new things. I am happy with the French press. Yeah. And it has a sort of, there's a sort of zen to pushing it down, the plunger down. And yeah. and then when I actually looked at the AeroPress, I was like, oh, I can get a similar level of zen here. Okay, sure. well, let's... Sure. Let's try this. And it does make an amazing cup of coffee and the cleanup is much less, which yeah. is important to me. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's, and it's very, too. right. And it's very yeah. portable. That was, yep. that was going to be the other thing I was going to say. It was much more portable yep. than, than the French press. And better temperature so. control. And I like the flavor that you get. Anyway, we, yeah, one thing after want another. To search for our, for our Twitter argument. It's probably about a year and a half old, but it was a, it was a robust <laughs> conversation. This was awesome. And I, and, and I really appreciate you. Number one, hanging in there with me for the better part of a year. And I think it's great that you are able to not only do the work that you do professionally and also be this transparent personality that we all know on social media, but that you're able to speak about it so honestly. So where do people find you? If they want to find your work on social media, obviously professionally, we want no part of you because you work in the ICU. So let's exactly. hopefully none of us have to cross paths with you there. Um, that being said, if we do, we're going to be in good hands on the, on the, on the social media side, where do people find you? They find me at and that is the at symbol brow of justice. One of the best Twitter handles out there for sure. I was really pleased that it was empty. I couldn't believe no one had picked it up. Good one. And then the, the, the things that we mentioned, they'll be in the show notes as well. This was really, really great. And I'm glad that I found your account on Twitter. I've been following you for gosh, since I've really been active on social media and I've, it's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging. This has been a wonderful conversation. I think this idea of how we can continue to stretch and bend and push this idea of transparency is really, really helpful. And you're a great guide for that. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.